that was, that's my stuff. Well, this is my second best favorite kind of an audience. My favorite audience is a bunch of women. I like, I like women. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> I have my wife with me. I just, just quickly, by way of background, uh, we were married the 11th of July this year. So I'm a newlywed. And we spent our honeymoon taking a rubber raft trip down the Colorado River for eight days. Just to see what she was made of. <laughs> but you know something, in order to have a happy occasion like uh, that wedding, there had to be another occasion. And that's when Marcy, my second wife, now, that's a different kind of an occasion. Now, you talk about, when you think about good and bad, and you talk about life and death, life is good, but so is death. Now, we, we have to think about that a little bit, I believe. But in order to have this second wedding that I had, I had to watch my first wife for 42 years waste away with a cancer and finally went to be with the Lord. Now, when you have experiences like that, it, it doesn't, uh, some of the, uh, well, when my first wife was uh, slipping away, she wasn't asking about the uh, the, the plants that she had. And she wasn't concerned about her jewelry. And she wasn't asking about the house or the car. You know, there's an issue that is uh, very critical. It's a one-on-one -on -one type of thing that everybody, it happens to everybody, you're going to die. And we need to come to terms with that. Uh, the idea of dying uh, would make some of us a little nervous uh, like you say, it would be nice if it would have happened just outside the confessional. But those are some of my experiences, and uh, there's been a verse quoted here, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he will keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And I've lived long enough to practice that verse a little bit, and I want to reassure you that it's true. You, you can trust the Lord. I don't understand the Lord at all. He does some of the strangest things, I think. I mean, I, I wouldn't do I wouldn't do a lot of things to me that he did. <laughs> For instance, I, I asked the Lord to give me a proper attitude toward money. And I, I got into a deal that cost me a quarter of a million bucks. <laughs> I said, God, what are you doing? You know, let me warn you, the Lord isn't, doesn't mind spending a quarter of a million of your bucks <laughs> to answer your prayer. 
And I, I think uh, some, uh, it takes something like that to get some of our attention. Measly 50,000 wouldn't bother you. <laughs> and, you know, we pray, and, and a lot of times I think uh, we, we disconnect our prayers from watching the answer. I asked the Lord one time to give me a proper attitude toward things. I, I, I'm getting a little more careful about how I pray. <laughs> uh, we live on a little island, and our, uh, our uh, post office is in a bank, is in a, a drugstore, and I walked in the drugstore to mail something, and I came out, and my car was gone, my Cadillac. Now, I swear I parked that car out here. <laughs> But anyway, there's a parking lot in the back, and uh, when you hit my age, you, you do forget. <laughs> so I figured, well, it's in the back, and I went in the back, and it wasn't in the back. <laughs> and so I went to a phone, I called my wife, and I said, have you got the car? <laughs> <laughs> and my wife said, where are you? You know, it dawned on me that that car was gone. And some, somebody said, oh, was that a, a silver Cadillac? Yeah. I just saw a kid jump in, in the car. I, you know, I had left my keys in the car, and he said, uh, how much gas? The cop, I was waiting for the cop, pacing up and down. Lord, why are you doing this to me? You know what the Lord told me? Nothing. <laughs> Well, I got to thinking, hey, I asked the Lord to give me a, a proper attitude toward things, and I asked him to give me a chance to love people, and here I can love this dirty car thief. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm going to have some joy, it's not going to be because I have my car. I'm going to need to enjoy the process of figuring out how to get this car back. You know, you can happily do that, or you can jump and crab and what's the matter with God? What's he doing to me? And if you don't watch out, you see, you're going to get your praying disconnected from the answers. So be careful how you pray. I was talking like this one time, and a lady came up to me. Uh, she was like this, and uh, she looked to me to be a little old for that. And she said, you know, I just want to tell you that uh, you're right about praying. Uh, last spring, our last child walked across the, the, uh, the platform to get her high school diploma. And I said, oh, Lord, what a mess I made of raising these kids. Would you give me another chance? I mean, I, I, you, you don't mess around with praying, fellas, because the Lord is about, I mean, he just may answer your prayers. And uh, so I've asked the Lord various things to give me a proper attitude toward this world and the next world. And as I say, I do not understand the Lord, but I trust him. And I, in all my days, I've never been able to see ahead very clearly but I can look back and it makes sense. Now, my job this morning is to talk to you about uh, marriage and the family. That's one of my favorite subjects. I'm a marriage counselor. How many of you are married? Wonderful, wonderful prospects. 
you know, miserable marriages is what I make my living off of. That doesn't sound right, does it? Miserable marriage. So there are three things that I want to talk to you about. In this session, I want to talk about the preparation for marriage. Now, if you're going to get anywhere as a husband, you've got to be ready for it. Uh, you can, it uh, doesn't take anything to say some marriage vows, but uh, that doesn't, because you, you say some marriage vows doesn't mean that you're ready for the job at all. And when I look this audience over with my practice clinical eye, and I ask myself, who are the solid, fine, upright gentlemen in this room? And uh, I'm stumped. I can't tell. <laughs> you know that as well as I. There isn't anybody that knows what's going on in your head. Nobody, unless you're willing to reveal it. Oh, I've had folks say, I can, I can read people like a book. Uh, maybe you can, but, but I can't. And very few people know what, go on, what goes on at your house. Have you ever had one of these grump, 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 grand, 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 that kind of evenings at your house and there's a doorbell ring? What, what do you do? You open the door and say, what do you want? You don't do that, do you? You uh, wipe the frown off your face, and your wife wipes the frown off her face, and on the way to the door, you warn the kids. <laughs> <laughs> and you're all ready now. I've often asked myself, what do miserable people look like? They look like this. Open the door. Hello, come on in, and you have a pleasant evening with these folks. Have you ever had that happen? Then it's time to go home, and you're standing in the door with your arm around your wife. You'd probably like to have your fingers around her throat. <laughs> and you're waving bye. Then <laughs> the fellow says to his wife on the way to the car, Now there's a happy couple. <laughs> Why don't we get along like that? Well, you probably do. <laughs> Then you close the door and, and, and you pick up right where you left off. And you look at your wife. She's a phony. And she looks at you and so are you. Uh, isn't it interesting how important it is for us to impress a stranger? I've, I said to my wife, you know, I would appreciate if you would treat me like a stranger. Wouldn't that be nice? If you got treated like a stranger or even like a dog. <laughs> I, I've watched two of my kids scrapping and one of them stepped on a dog's foot and they stopped their fight to apologize to the dog. <laughs> well, nobody knows what's going on in your head, for sure. And you can say, this is the truth. I'm leveling with you. But only you know whether that's true. One time I was uh, writing a book, and uh, my, my normal schedule is to eat and drink and sleep and write 
that I left uh, an exercise, and I left the exercise part out. And so for 30 days, I did not know exercising. I just ate and slept and wrote. And at the end of 30 days, I took my trusty um, tennis racket, and I, I went uh, on the tennis court, and my intentions were to hit that ball solid and square and where I wanted it. And I realized that my timing was off. I couldn't do that. I wanted to. I, I made up my I really badly wanted to, but I couldn't. In 15 minutes, I was huffing and puffing, and my muscles began to ache, and it began to dawn on me that in order to get out of condition, physically speaking, you don't need to do anything. Just don't do anything, and you will get out of shape, physically speaking. Now, if you're going to stay in condition, physically speaking, you've got to do something. And you've got to keep on doing it. Now, that's true, isn't it? Now, did you ever stop to think that there are some things that nobody can do for you? And that's one of them. Nobody. It would have been nice if I could have said to my wife, I'm going to be busy for 30 days, and I'd like you to do some calisthenics for 30 minutes a day for 30 days so that I won't get out of shape. There's no way that you can do that. There isn't anybody that can eat for you or sleep for you or think for you, right? And there isn't anybody that can make you look after your spiritual life either. There isn't anybody that can do that for you. You're going to have to do it for yourself. And so what I want to talk about in this first session is uh, preparation, personal preparation for being able to manage a marriage. Personal preparation for being able to manage a marriage. And this is something that nobody can do for you. You're going to have to do it for yourself. Now, there's a passage of Scripture in John chapter 1 that I want to call to your attention. And it's talking about Jesus. John chapter 1, verse... Uh, well, let's start with verse 10. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him. He made it. And the world knew Him not. And He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Isn't that something? Creator of the universe, and He came unto His own, and his own received him not. Did you ever come home and your wife received you not? And you got a cold shoulder? Or you gave a cold shoulder? Have you ever had the experience of your children not wanting to have anything to do with you? And they say, leave me alone. Why do I have to tell you where I go all the time? Why do you have to tell me what to do? Set me free. Let me go. Leave me alone. I want to live my own life. I need some space. That's what we say. Don't, don't, don't you hear that all the time? Don't hand me in. That's the way it was with Jesus, the creator of the universe. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. 
And that's something. Now, I, I want to I recall our children are growing up in Ghana now. And I, I must say, uh, I must confess that I like that stage of family life the best. <laughs> They're gone. I wrote a book that said it takes 20 years to raise kids, and then I raised it up to 30. I got it up to 45. <laughs> These kids don't only hang around, they multiply. <laughs> But I can remember those kids uh, coming up to us in their teens and saying, Dad, we would like to put permission to go to that particular place a week from Friday night. And my wife and I, my wife, who was the world's greatest expert on the subject of these kids, she was the kind that uh, made a career out of running the house and raising the kids. That's becoming pretty rare, isn't it? Even husbands don't want their wives to do that anymore. Well, that's the way it was in those days. And so she knew these kids, and, and she studied them, and she invested her time and energy in them. Nobody in the world cared more about those three kids than my wife, and I, can't, I claim to run a close second to that. And besides, I'm a professional child psychologist. Now, you'd think that our kids would be very secure in a situation like that. And so we discussed this. We gave it our finest judgment. And so we gave them our finest advice. No. Well, our kids are psychologist kids. And so they said, well, Father, when we think of uh, your dedication and commitment to us, <laughs> and we, we know you have our best interests at heart, we would be delighted to stay home. <laughs> You don't believe that? <laughs> you understand now, this is the finest judgment that the two people in the whole wide world that know most about those kids and care the most about them could come up with. And their response was, What? <laughs> you can't do that to us. Can you imagine approaching a, a professional psychologist like that? <laughs> We've got to go. Can we go? No. What are we going to tell our kids? What are we going to tell our friends? What do you want to do, make a freak out of us? Everybody is going but us. Now, you wouldn't want us to be the only ones in town that couldn't go, would you? Can we go? And we would say no. Now, you'd think that would be enough, but no, they, they just withdrew and regrouped. <laughs> and they came back at us and they said uh, you know dad we've been suspecting for quite a while that you don't love us <laughs> do you know what it's like to be unloved <clears throat> now if, if you love us dad you will let us go can we go and we say, no. <coughs> You'd think that would be enough, but no. Uh, they said, uh, you call yourself a Christian.
Well, I tell you, Dad, if you're a Christian, deliver me from Christianity. If you don't let us go, when we get old enough, we will never darken a church door again, and it'll be your fault. Now, you wouldn't want to do that to us, would you, Dad? Can we go? We said no. Now, these are smart, creative kids. So they spent the next two weeks making life miserable for us. That was their response to the finest judgment that we could come up with on their behalf. Have you ever had that experience at your house? You don't necessarily want what's good for you, do you? Sometimes we are our own worst enemy, and we do not do the things that we ought to do. And we deliberately and consciously do wrong. For instance, just as an illustration, have you ever been at a dinner and you uh, had two helpings and you've already said, oh, I'm full. And they pass the pie a la mode. And you say, to, with fork in hand, to the whole table, I shouldn't do this. And you are announcing that you are about to do something that you would not recommend to anybody else. <laughs> and we don't think anything about it, do we? We are actually, consciously, deliberately going to do something that we label wrong before we even start. And groan after it's over with. But that's, that's the way people are. And, uh, you know, if you're going to, there are some things that Nobody can make you do. And if you don't do them, they're not going to get done. And just as we... Now, you see, our children don't mind using the car. They don't mind eating our food. They don't mind the roof over their heads. They just often didn't want anything to do with us. They wanted the benefits of being in the family, but they didn't want anything to do with the people who ran the family. And that's true a lot of times, isn't it? We'll take advantage. That's the way it is in the world. We don't mind taking advantage of God's world. Look at our cars that we drive and our houses and our clothes and the food that we eat and the uh, travel that we have the privilege of doing. It's just a tremendously wonderful world, isn't it? And there's a lot of people, and you have a lot of friends who just enjoy this world, but they don't want anything to do with the owner of this world. And that's the way it is sometimes with our children. They don't mind the benefits of being in your family. They just don't want you to get too close to them. It's the way it is with you and me and the Lord sometimes. The Lord has told us some things. So what? What difference does it make what he says anyhow? We're going to do what we're going to do. And never mind what the Lord says. Now, I don't know if that's true. I just want to give you an opportunity. I, I trust that what I'm talking about does not apply to you. But I'm just pointing out that you can get into a situation where you can get out of shape physically and uh, you didn't do anything to do it. You just uh, didn't exercise and so you're out of shape. Now, the same thing can happen with your spiritual life. You can get out of condition 
spiritually speaking. You know, so I want to give you a chance to check up on yourself because there's no use of us talking about playing tennis unless we're in condition to play tennis. And there's no use of talking about running a marriage unless we are in, in shape to handle what, what is involved in running a marriage. Okay? Now, Jesus said, I don't know if that matters to you or not, what difference does it make anyhow what he said? Especially if your favorite psychologist didn't say it. But in John chapter 14, verse 27, I just want to call your attention to a few things that Jesus said. He said, Peace I leave with you. John, John chapter 14, verse 27. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Jesus said, I want you to be peaceful. Peaceful. What, what, what do we mean? When is a man peaceful? When you're relaxed and at ease and comfortable and your muscles are quiet and your heartbeat is normal and life is pleasant and sweet, that's peace. Right? Jesus said, I want my kids to be peaceful people. Now, what's the opposite of that? Well, you know, nowadays people talk to me a lot about their, their stress. We don't mind talking about stress. I'm under stress. I'm anxious. I'm tense. Uh, I'm jittery. I'm jumpy. We don't mind talking about that, do we? And just stop and think what a low level of Christian living we're willing to accept and even admit to. What difference does it make that Jesus said we ought to be peaceful people? You're kidding. Peaceful and uh, with a real estate market the way it is? You expect me to be peaceful? Married to who I'm married to? If you had kids like mine, if you had circumstances in your life like mine, you're trying to tell me that I'm supposed to be peaceful? You know, I, I talk to some very anxious people and I say the first thing you ought to do is calm down. They say, calm down? Well, that's a really an obnoxious idea. What do you mean calm? People get mad at me because I tell them that they ought to calm down. I've had folks say, if I calm down, I'd never get anything done. I mean, my, my employees need to know that if they don't perform, I'm going to get upset. And uh, you see, uh, the threatening them with me getting upset is how I get work done. You can't afford to be peaceful. I've had folks say, if my family doesn't, under, doesn't realize that I'm nervous, I tell them so. Look at me. <laughs> Can't you see what you're doing to me? Isn't it true that some mothers have to say to their kids, hey, father just drove in the driveway. Now, you kids know what father is like. <laughs> now, calm down, because, you know, father is apt to go, poof! <laughs> And Father cannot afford to have that change. Now, you know, just because Jesus said that we ought to be peaceful people doesn't mean that we are interested in being peaceful people. But you realize that's one of his standards? 
He said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you realize what he's saying? If you have a troubled heart, and are any of you burdened? Jesus said you shouldn't do that. What does Jesus know about uh, 1988? He, he said that if you have a burdened heart, it's because you let it happen to you. I mean, they quoted a verse last night uh, when we went to prayer. Where, where, where are we supposed to shift our burdens? Where? Over to the Lord. Well, so we read it last night. So what? Now, of course, I hope that the answer is, uh, I, listen, mister, what are you, who are you talking about? I'm, I take those verses seriously. Well, I, I trust that you do, and I'm just trying to call your attention to the fact that it's pretty critical that you do. If we're going to live our lives in such a fashion that people are going to pay any attention to us, it's going to, that's one of the important, I believe, requirements is that we are known to be peaceful people in a stressful world. He said, let not your heart be troubled and neither let it be afraid. He is saying if you're afraid, fearful and troubled, it's because you let it happen to you. It doesn't have to happen to you. And so that's the good news. Uh, I would say that a husband and a father needs to be a peaceful man. And that's the source of that is twofold. You can turn to the Lord for peace or you can turn to the world that he made for peace. And he said, and he made it, he said, I don't want you to turn to my world. Where is that thing? I want to do a little scribbling here. Is that in focus? We're talking about the Creator. Can you see that? And we're talking about the creation. Turn down, like, is that better? We're talking about the creation and we're talking about the Creator. Now, in the creation, there are people, there are places, there are things, there are events, activities, the Creator says, I want you to look to me for peace. Uh, he says some more things. Let me just call your attention to a couple of them, just so that you understand the point that I'm trying to make. In John chapter 15, verse... Uh, Eleven. 
These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. He talks about his joy. So he wants you to look to him for joy. The next verse he says, This is my commandment that you love one another. Now let me just chat with you a little bit about Let's take the word love. When we talk about marriage, I, I have to hurry home tomorrow because one of my staff members is going to get married. He's, he's head over heels in love. Now that's the way we, uh, we look for that, don't we? When, when we say love, you don't look to the Creator. You look to a person. Don't you? I mean, the important thing is is that your mother loved you. Now, we talk about getting turned on, and so young people look, look for, uh, a young man looks for a girl to turn him on. Take the matter of joy, for instance. Um, you kids will say, if, I, uh, if you love me, you'll buy me a car. We talk about that. I love my car. You say, if, if you want me to be joyful, you'll buy me a car. And we ask ourselves, don't we, how do we make our children happy? Parents are, are, are often asking me that question. How do you make, have you asked yourself that? How are you going to make your kids happy? And so we try to make them happy by buying some things for them. We try to make them happy by taking them places, doing things. Parents are always asking, how can I keep my children happy? Do you realize that Jesus said that joy comes from the Creator? Not the creation, but the Creator. Do you ever stop to think that one of the things you can't give for your children is joy? You have to teach your children that joy comes from God. Now, if you want to be joyful, you see, you got to, like me, for instance, if you want to be joyful like me, that's what we were talking about last night. Uh, he, he was telling us about being examples, wasn't he? Now, you want to be joyful like me. Some kids would, I've had kids say, you mean turn out like my dad? You're kidding. Well, if you want to be joyful like me, you've got to look to the Lord for that. I can't give you that. I, I think, gentlemen, the Christian education of your kids is very critical. And one of the things we ought to realize is the joy, any uh, joy that is produced out of this creation is a counterfeit. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. Now, Jesus said that, I want to give you peace, not as the world gives, but I want, to get, I want you to get it from me. Now, when you're tense and anxious, what in the world can you do to find some peace? Listen, there's a lot of things that you can do in the world that you can do. Many folks have said, if you're under pressure, go somewhere. Get away from it all. And sure enough, it works. 
Well, then what are we talking about? Is this double talk that I'm talking about? Listen, Jesus said that there's a counterfeit kind of a peace, and there's a peace that you can get in this world, and uh, that's not the kind I want you to get. I want you to get it from me. But listen, you can work your tensions off, can't you? How many of you have had that experience of throwing yourself into your work and it takes you ten years to wake up that you're up a blind alley? Now, obviously, there's some benefits from work, but uh, the peace of God is not one of them. You say, I, I, I want to fall in love. And so you look for somebody. I want to be loved. My, my wife doesn't love me. And so we have people getting married nowadays because for, for love, they want to be loved. And so you go down to the courthouse and for every two couples that apply for a marriage license in our day, there is one couple that is applying for a divorce. Now what went wrong? Well, you see, you follow the idea that love happens between two people. Now listen, only single people think that. I'm not trying to be funny. You know perfectly well that if you were a mean, grumpy, crabby fellow before you were married and then you got married, what happened? You were a mean, grumpy, married man. And you, you might have said to yourself, I must have married the wrong woman. <laughs> this woman isn't doing for me. I, I, I was convinced that what I had to do was get rid of my family. I mean, those people made me mad. Now, I can get rid of those, that family of mine and find the right woman. That'll make a lover out of me. It's what Jesus warned us. Love and peace and joy. You want to look to me for those. Not to the world. Those are countries. But what in the world can you do just in case you're not interested in God's doing it God's way? You're going to do it your own way. That's what a lot of our kids do. They don't want to do it your way. They want to do it that way. But you say, never mind what God said. I'm going to find peace some other way. So what can you do? Let me just give you some suggestions. You can jog. And you jog two, three days a week and you'll feel a lot better. You'll be a lot more relaxed. Now that is not a figment of the imagination. That is true. And that doesn't have a thing to do with God. Jogging, anybody can do. And they can all get the same result. You don't have to look Godward if you're going to be jogging. You can work your tensions off on a racquetball court or a tennis court. You can, uh, you can lose yourself in a development project. You can become so fascinated developing something that you don't even know you're tense. You can just pour yourself into something like that and you don't know that you're up against a dead end for years. What in the world can you do? You can lose yourself in a book. You can lose yourself in a television set. You can lose yourself in a, in a radio. You don't, you don't have to think. You can wake up to a radio. Uh, I, I live on the, on the Atlantic Ocean. And you, you'd think that people would want to walk along that ocean and listen to the waves. You know, you'd be surprised the number of people that are walking along the beach in front of our house with a earphones in their ears. I mean, you can get through the whole day without thinking. All you have to do is 
unlatch them and turn on your car radio, and you can focus on the car radio until you can get home on, long enough to turn on the TV. Listen, what in the world can you do to find peace and love and joy? There are a lot of things you can do. You can lose yourself in the baseball season or the football season or the basketball season. You can lose yourself in your wardrobe. You can lose yourself in uh, uh, recreation. This is a tremendous, fascinating world, and you can get yourself all wrapped up in this world, and you don't even know that your contentment is misplaced. Now, love and joy and peace is not a function of marriage. A lot of people think so. I think that's one of the reasons why the statistics are so grim. Just think, for every two people applying for a marriage license, there's somebody there applying for a divorce. You see, they, they thought that you could find these things in this world. But you don't, that's not where it's found. Are you with me? Where are you looking for peace? What difference does it make that Jesus said that I want you to look to me for joy and peace and love? You see, you can get your life wrapped up in your children and your wife. You know, they can, they can go. Can't they? Well, let's get back over here. Um, I, I want to, uh, first of all, I want to talk about some hindrances to looking to the Lord for, for peace. I was talking like this one time, that joy and peace and love come from the Lord, fervently holding out for this. In the evening and the next morning, I went to the airport, and, and uh, I was in San Diego, and I had a tape recorder strapped over my shoulder, and the girl said, uh, Mr., I want you to put that tape recorder through the x-ray machine. And I said... Uh, I don't want to put it through the x-ray machine. It's just a tape recorder. And she said, if you don't put it through the x-ray machine, then you can't go take it on the airplane. I said, listen, I've been in airports all over this country, and, and uh, I've never had to put my tape recorder through the x-ray machine, and I don't have to do it now. She said, well, I'm sorry, sir, but you'll have to do it. I said, listen, you know, I'm an executive. I don't have to mess around with those people down there. I said, I want to talk to your boss. And so he comes down after a while. You can imagine how he liked that, leaving his office. And I told him, I, I uh, would appreciate if you'd set this girl straight. I've been in airports all over the world with my tape recorder, and she wants me to put it through the x-ray machine. I'm not going to do it. I'd appreciate it if you'd set her straight. He said, Mister, I made that law. Put it through the x-ray machine. So I put it through the x-ray machine. <laughs> you know, this stuff that I'm... And I grab my tape recorder and I get on the airplane and I'm just seething. And the gentleman, this stuff doesn't work in airports. <laughs> Is that right? What's the, what's the, what's the, there's a gap here somehow between what I'm teaching and what I'm doing. Have you found that to be true? Well, here I am, taking off in this airplane, just seething. Now, how am I going to get back to peace and joy and love again? There's a verse that says, If you will confess your 
sins. That's the trouble with the verse. I can tell you about my wife's sins or my associate's sins, but this is talking about me. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so if I'm going to get back to being a peaceful and a joyful and a loving guy, which I, which I am not, then I'm going to have to come to the Lord with my sins. Right? What are my sins? Any of you have any ideas? I heard you the first time. (laughs) I heard another guy say pride. What else? Stubborn? Anything else? What? How do you mean that? I don't know what word to use. Let's skip that one. What else? Listen, that's enough, fellas. <laughs> now, that's not a very pretty picture. And, and you guys rattle off this stuff about me. You don't mind doing that at all, do you? <laughs> now, you know, this leads me to this question. Are you serious? Are you just telling me what you want me to hear? Or are you really serious that I'm an angry, proud, stubborn, selfish man? Now, that's not very nice. But you know, fellas, we're not very nice. Now, you can be proud, angry, stubborn, selfish, and look like this. Yeah, I'm not talking about how you look. I'm talking about what is in your heart. And if you want to get back into fellowship with the Lord you got to deal with your sins and you guys rattle off my sins you, you, what, what are you doing you're not even trained <laughs> but isn't it amazing you're not trained but you're accurate and it isn't that hard to figure out what my sins are and it isn't very pretty now you know here, here I am saying Lord this is Henry I mean and angry and proud and stubborn and selfish. How, how often do you approach God that way? I'd rather say, you know, Lord, this is Henry. I, I, drew, I, I flew all the way to San Diego in your name last night and poured out my heart to these people. That's the kind of guy I am, Lord. I really have a burden for your people. In fact, I'm seething here on my way to another appointment. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to tell those people how to walk with you. Now listen, my Lord, my advice is fine. And the fact that I'm not taking it doesn't mean that it's bad advice. And isn't it true that we can rattle off the right things to do without any intention of doing it? And no, nothing wrong with the advice. And I just want to point out to you that it didn't take you very long to figure out what my sins were. And it isn't going to take you very long to figure out what yours are either. Except that that's one of the most rare things that we do is to repent and confess. Now, if this were a cup, 
That's what was in my cup. Right? How am I going to get it out of there? Straighten out the girl at the x-ray machine. I mean, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be in any problem. You've got to be careful who you interact with in in airports, that's all. I mean, how how do you deal with your sins? You straighten out your wife, don't you? When you get mad and uh, stubborn and selfish, uh, uh, the problem is with your family, isn't it? Or your employees or your boss. I mean, really, this solution is to deal with them, isn't it? You see, the point is, you may have a problem with your boss, but you also have a problem in your heart, and those are not the same problems. Now, the events of the day will expose your soul. The the events of the day are not going to determine what's there. It'll just let you know what's there. Now, I, I don't understand this. All I know is that there's no question about it, that those things were in my heart. And that little girl... Let me know it. And the problem becomes between God and me at that point. Only God can deal with my heart. Now, uh, repentance implies I am wrong. And I want to tell you, fellows, that is a very rare instance when an individual really means it from the bottom of his heart, I am wrong. When you say to your kids, sit down! You're wrong. Aren't you? Yeah, but let, let me tell you about my... I know you've got problems with your kids, but, but really, they don't... Not, they, didn't, they, they didn't crawl into your skin. And so it's a very difficult thing. Now, I have people tell me all kinds of things. I'm under tension. I'm under pressure. I... Um, I'm un- un- uncomfortable. I'm not at ease. I can't eat. I can't. People tell me all kinds of things like that. But you know, I find it very difficult to get somebody that says I'm under stress to tell me I have sinned. People tell me things like, I mean, educated college graduates will tell me, I lost my head. Get, get the picture? No head. <laughs> Heads under your arm. <laughs> but, but people will say that very seriously. They're not trying to be funny. I lost my head. I, I had a fellow tell me he blew up. Poof. <laughs> 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 you, you get the picture of brains, hair, blood, bones. Poof. Now, people don't blow up. I had a man tell me he broke down. (laughs) Just a pile. I had a man tell me, believe it or not, that his wife got under his skin. (laughs) I had a man tell me that he was beside himself. Isn't it interesting what you will say about yourself? But how often do you hear a man say, I am wrong? And if, you're, if there's something between you and the Lord, 
you've got to get it straightened out between you and the Lord, and so you have to identify what's wrong. Now, Lord, this is Henry. I'm angry and proud and stubborn and selfish. But then you go on to say, but Lord, let me explain to you what happened. If it hadn't been for that girl in the x-ray machine, oh, Lord, please do something about girls behind x-ray machines. <laughs> Let me explain to you what my situation is. And so I have people who will take a long, long time to explain the things that are going on around them, and that's why they're mad, because of what's going on around them. And so you get people to finally admit, yes, I am mad, but I am not sorry. I am not the least bit sorry. It isn't really my fault. And if you'll just listen, I've had folks say, Doc, if you listen to my story, you will understand why the Bible does not apply to me. If you will listen to my story, you will understand what an exception I am. I'm really a special case. I mean, God never had one like this. I tell you, folks, people are serious when, when, they, when they say, yes, I'm mad, but uh, I, I can justify it. I can explain it. You see, fellows, there's no repentance there. And so it's hard to say, uh, to admit that I'm wrong, but it's more difficult to admit that I'm sorry. But then there's some more. The verse says, If you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's still harder to say and mean it. Would you forgive me, son? Forgive me. Well, I've had folks sit across from me and, and they admit that they're wrong and they're sorry. They start to cry and they say, can't you see I'm crying? The Lord doesn't, doesn't require you to have a crying spell. Some of us are satisfied to have a cry. I've had men say, you know, sir, I've never felt so bad about myself in all my life since I talked to you. And we are satisfied to feel bad about ourselves. And we, we say, I have no self-esteem. I don't like myself. And we are, we're content not to like ourselves, but we're not going to do anything about it that would make us likable. And we throw these words around, I have very low self-esteem. When somebody says that to me, I, I say, if you have low self-esteem, then you must be able to explain to me why you have a low self-esteem of yourself. Well, my father told me that I was no good. Oh, come on, cut it out. You know, you don't listen to your father. You know that. Well, you'll buck your father. You've bucked him all your life. And now all of a sudden you're trying to tell me that you take your father seriously? Come on, what's the real reason why you don't like yourself? Tell me something that's true about you. Now, I'm not, I don't want to talk to you about your father. I want to talk to you about you. What do you know about yourself that you don't like? People, I tell you, it's very difficult to get people to talk like that. And people are willing to be sad and miserable and depressed, but they're not ready to repent. Can't you see I'm depressed? What more do you want? Listen, God doesn't require that. That's, that's, that doesn't lead you Godward. And so you need to 
acknowledge I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Forgive me. That's not enough. A lot of of men say to me, now that I know what's wrong, I'll take myself in hand and I'm not going to let it happen anymore. Listen, one of the most difficult things is to admit that not only are you wrong, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, would you forgive me, and would you cleanse me, cleanse me. I can't handle it. I can't do it. Now we say these things very easily, but I want to tell you that these steps are very rare, folks. There's one more. A lot of folks say, now that I'm clean, I'll, 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 I'll take charge. But you have to get to the place where you realize that if, unless you depend on the Lord day by day, you're not going to make it. It's God's strength that's going to make the difference, not yours. It's not a change in your wife's behavior that's going to make the difference in your heart. It's dealing with God. Economic changes would make the difference. No, they won't. Economic changes just let you know what's in your heart. Pro or con. And so what you need to do then, if you have this kind of situation which is in your heart, the, the, the relationship goes this way. You need to deal with the Creator. Not the creation. Oh yes, you have to deal with the creation, but not for this. In this case, we're talking about the condition of your own heart. You're dealing with God. Is that right? Oh, how, how simple that sounds and how easy, how easy it is. But so what, what, what's the difference if the Bible says that's the way you do it? That's not the way I'm going to do it. And so just like your kids don't want to pay attention to you, many times we don't want to pay any attention to God. We're going to do it our own way, like our kids. But if you look to the Creator, then He will clean up your heart. And that involves you and the Creator. That's all. Not you. It doesn't have anything to do with people. I wish I could help you, but I can't, except to point you Godward. This doesn't involve people. But, you know, it's not enough to be empty. You also, if you want this condition to exist in your heart, then you have to ask God for that. And so this is a a circle, a circuit. And it involves you and God. And the only person that can break it is you. Your wife can't interfere with your your relationship to the Lord. She can't force you to stop looking to God. And she can't force you to start looking to God either. Same way with your wife. You see, you can't make your wife look Godward, or you cannot interfere with her relationship to God either. Same way with your kids. And so the the starting point that I want to make, and then we're going to take a five-minute stand-up here, I just want to say that, you know, unless we're in condition, uh, we're going to flunk. Here, here I am telling people about God, 
and I start out in the morning, and I run into a little girl behind an x-ray machine, and I discover that I wasn't prepared for the day. And so I've got to get back into my relationship to the Lord. And that's, what, that's the way it is with me, fellas. I don't very often make it through the day. Do you? You know, one, day, one time I started memorizing ver- scripture and I, I, I picked out an easy one because I don't memorize very well. And I picked one in First Thessalonians that said, Rejoice always. I could handle that. <laughs> you know what? I couldn't, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. One day I woke up, I was mad. I was still in bed. <laughs> There's no way you're going to do that except, uh, except by a miracle of God. And so there aren't very many days that I make it through the day and I have to go through this little circuit often. I don't know about you, but that's the way it is with me. And unless I walk with the Lord, I'm not really going to have a, be able to handle the things that come up in a marriage or in a family. And so I just want to point that out to you, that there's a preparation that you have to make that only you can make and nobody can do it for you. You know, if we could cram this stuff down people's throats, then what we ought to do is get the the crew of the strongest guys we could get and start in one corner of the county and grab everybody right through the county and cram the Holy Spirit down their throat. But you can't do that. That's not the way it works. So this is good news. There isn't anybody that can stop you from doing that. So then why don't we do it? And I I guess that's one of the mysteries of life. Why don't we do it? But I guess one of the reasons is like our kids. Your kids don't mind being a member of the family as long as you let them alone. And that's the way it is with us. We don't mind being a member of God's family, but we don't want to do what he says. A lot like our kids. But if you want to take Jesus seriously, then he says, Peace and joy and love. And you can look up the fruits of the Spirit. Though the fruits of the Spirit are just the fruits of the Spirit, aren't they? The fruits of the Spirit. That means they come from God. That means it doesn't have anything to do with people. And now let's take a break and then we'll talk about interacting with people because we do interact with people. So let's take a stander upper for about five minutes. Philippians chapter 2. Now, at, uh, at first glance, this passage of Scripture doesn't look much like, uh, doesn't sound much like it has to do anything with marriage. Now, I don't know how many Philippians there were, but I think there were more than two. And this is the advice that he gives to these Philippians. And I just, now the first verse. Let me call your attention to the first verse. If there be any consolation in Christ, if that's true, you're quiet and at ease and comfortable, and you know that this is the Lord quieting you down. If there be any consolation in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, If there is any kindness and mercy, if that's true. 
Now let's take that into your house. You have a decision to make at your house between you and your wife. And that if there is any consolation in Christ, the two of you are at ease and comfortable. And there is a fellowship of love, the comfort of love. And there's a fellowship of the Spirit and there's a tenderness and mercy. If that condition exists, then I think what this passage is saying, you can proceed with the discussion. Now, you can read books about how to fight effectively. I don't think that's the idea here at all. We're not talking about how to fight effectively. We're not talking about fighting at all. Now, what we're talking about is two friendly people. And we're aware of the fact that the reason that there's this quietness is because we're rightly related to the Lord and we want to please Him and we have a decision to make. Now, I'm suggesting to you that if that that condition doesn't exist, table it. It's like two people trying to play tennis that are not in a condition. Uh, You might as well give up trying to play tennis. It's it's not going to be any fun. You better, the two of you, get off and get yourself in a condition and maybe a week after next you might be able to play some tennis. But you can't play tennis today. You're just not in shape. Now, there's a lot of folks try to solve problems when they're not in condition. And so uh, I think that's what this verse implies. Now, without going into a lot of detail, we we understand that the leader in the family is the husband. One time I was talking to a, a young attorney at a conference like this. I asked him, what do you do? He says, I'm the managing partner of a law firm, a couple of dozen lawyers. And this young guy said he was the managing partner. You're the managing partner? Yeah. Uh, How did you get to be managing partner? They appointed me as managing partner. You see, the guys that run this law firm don't want to manage it. (laughs) And so what do they do? They hire me to manage it. Now, they they tell me what what to spend, and they tell me what to do, and and, uh, how to do it, and then I do it. I'm the managing partner. You see, you can be the, you can run a thing and not and not even own it. Uh, you know, when I I used to have some restaurants, and uh, I don't want to run any restaurants. Now, if you own restaurants and you don't want to run restaurants, then what do you do? You find somebody to run them for you, and you show that guy how you're thinking, and he's supposed to think like me. And so it doesn't make any difference whether I'm there or he's there, because he thinks like me. And so that's, that's, you say, buddy, if you think that, you never managed anything. But that's the idea, isn't it? Uh, you can delegate stuff like that to somebody else. Now, I didn't want to run these. I can't run a restaurant in Michigan and be speaking here both. If, if I'm going to run a restaurant in Michigan and be here, I'm going to have to have somebody representing me in Michigan. Isn't that true? And so you're the managing party. Now, who have you got to manage? Well, you might have a pretty tough outfit. To manage, I, I've uh, I've had some very uncooperative employees. I, I had 
some, uh, well, we, we uh, all of a sudden one day somebody came and said, uh, I belong to, I'm a representative of a union and your employees want to vote. Who do you think you Well, I found out that he thought he could do that and I found out he could do it. So you can get some cantankerous employees that give you a hard time but, and you're going to live with them. Right? That's the way it is at your house. I mean, what do you got to work with? Maybe you've got some, some cooperative people that you're managing and maybe you don't. But you're the manager anyhow. But you've got to make that thing go with what you got. What have you got? Uh, you see, the solution is not, this isn't working very well, I guess I'll walk away from it. No, you're the managing partner. Now, you've got to make this thing go. Now, every once in a while, somebody calls me and asks me, uh, uh, one of the things I do is uh, management consulting in, in the field of uh, personnel relations. That's that just that side of it. And so people call me in and say, we're not doing very well. Could you tell us how we could make this thing run a little smoother? Well, now, sometimes you have to do that. You may have that question in your mind, too. How am I going to make this, this marriage of mine run more smoothly than it does? It's, it's really not running very well. It may not be running very well, but that's your outfit. And so that's the first thing you've got to do. Now, look, if there be any consolation in Christ, and if any comfort of love, and if any fellowship of the Spirit, and if there is any tenderness and mercy, is that true of you? If it isn't, then if you're going to get anywhere in managing your, your family, you've got to get your heart straightened out first. So don't try to straighten out the marriage without straightening out your heart. I mean, you've got to do first things first. Now you say, but my wife is, is, is mean. She will not cooperate. Well, I'm not talking about your wife. I'm wanting to know if you're a nice man with a mean wife. Now you see, two mean people is not the same as just one mean person. And so if you've got to start to change something, and you're the managing partner, and uh, the first thing you've got to do if you're going to improve the performance of your family is to change you. It takes a nice guy who's not going to get upset because of what's happening here because his source is there, not there. Got it? Okay, now, what is the goal? What are we trying to do in this family? Verse 2. Fulfill my joy that you may be like-minded, having the same love and being of one accord and of one mind. Now, here's the goal. You've got to get your minds together. Now, if your minds are not together, then you are not together. And so this takes some real honesty, doesn't it? Now, uh, this is the first thing you have to establish in the managing of your family. Uh, you say, my wife doesn't accept the fact that I'm the manager of the family. Well, she may not do that. She may not even accept. That's part of the condition that you have to live with. That You're still the manager whether she likes it or not. If she doesn't like it, well, it could be. That's what you've got to live with. That's who you're working with. And your goal is to get your minds together. 
And if your minds are not together, you are not together. You know, in, in marriage counseling, I talk one, once in a while about kissing. And a fellow, the lady says, he, he doesn't kiss me anymore. And so I tell him, you'd save yourself a lot of trouble if you just kiss her more often. So he says, all right. <laughs> I'll go home and kiss her then. So he goes home and kisses her and says, now, quit your griping. I mean, that's, no, that's no good. One fellow says, I don't kiss her because her lips are hard. One fellow says, kissing her is just a damp experience. You see, meeting lips doesn't, this doesn't mean that, that your hearts are together or that your minds are together. You can be kissing, you can be as physically involved as humanly possible with your wife and your mind isn't even there. You see, I'm not talking about becoming physically involved. I am talking about becoming mentally involved. And if your minds are not together, don't be kidding yourself. Now, I've had experiences in my business where I could not do what I wanted to do in my own business because of some of the conditions that existed in the business. And some people would advise me, listen, if you try to introduce this policy in your business, you'll cause more trouble than you're, you're going to solve. And so I would advise you to table it for a year. So in order for my mind to get together with my employee's mind, I had to concede to my employees. But then at least our minds were together. Maybe next year it'll be different. You don't always do what you please, do you? Not if you want your minds together. And there are times if you and your wife are going to have your minds together, you're only going to have one option, and you're going to do it her way, at least for now. Yeah, but I'm the leader. Uh, I'm talking about leadership. I'm saying that's good leadership. You can't always do what you please. But uh, one, one of the goals is that you're going to get your minds together. And if your minds are not together, you are not together. And so if, if you end up not being together, the, at least you better know that you're not together. Fulfill my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love and being of one accord and of one mind. Now, I don't think that means that you have to do everything the same. My wife and I agree that it's okay for me to play tennis under certain conditions, but that doesn't mean that she has to play tennis. Now, there's no conflict there where there's a meeting of minds that, that she doesn't need to play tennis. That's okay with me. But uh, she agrees that I can play tennis, and we have agreed under the conditions of what must exist for me to play tennis. So you don't have to do everything the same, but you have to be in agreement. Follow me? fellow was telling me about his first day of marriage. They started down the highway, and, and she said to him, Honey, you're going too fast. And they, that was their first difference of opinion over how fast to drive. He said, Honey, don't bother your pretty little head about the driving. You just relax and let me do the driving and you enjoy it. Did that settle anything? All she did was shut her mouth, and she spent the morning protesting his driving. They were in the same car, but their minds weren't together. I remember one time I was in uh, Africa, 
And my wife and I was in, my wife was in Michigan. We were never any closer. But I've been in the same room with her and we've never been any further apart. See, if your minds are not together, you are not together. And so, let's just take a look at some of the things that we have to think about in a, in a marital relationship by, by way of getting your minds together. Just as sure as you get married, you are thrown into a position where you have to make some decisions and they are, they are unavoidable. The day you get married, you run into unavoidable decisions that you have to make and you will either be in, in agreement or disagreement. There will be harmony or discord. Now your goal and my goal as Christians is to approach our wives cheerfully, happily, and our goal is to come to a meeting of minds. Be in the same mind. That doesn't mean you do the same things together, but your minds are together. Now let me, get, let me illustrate what happens the day you marry. One of the most common issues that I listen to in a consulting room, anywhere in the world it's the same thing. You know what it is? What do you think? Money. Just as soon as you get married, you have to make decisions about money. You can't avoid it. Who makes it? How, how hard do you work to make it? After you make it, whose is it? On what do you spend it? How do you keep track of it? Isn't it true? You Now, if you can imagine a disagreement about money, and imagine that disagreement to be an invisible brick about this long and this wide and this thick, and you put that in a place. And every time you have a difference of opinion about money, you put another invisible brick in place. Can you see how fast you can build an invisible wall between you and your partner about money? Whose is it? Who makes it? Whose is it? How do you spend it? Who keeps track of it? You make those decisions on a daily basis, don't you? And uh, when you make a decision about money, you see, your wife doesn't need to be there. And you make a decision about money, and, it will give, and you will have a sense of harmony or disharmony, whether she's there or not. One t again, one time I was in Africa deciding to make a purchase. My wife was in Michigan. Now, fellas, that's freedom. You can't get your wife much further away than that. But when I, was, I realized that if my wife were beside me, she would agree with this purchase. Or maybe she would not agree with this purchase. And so she doesn't have to be there. And all your wife does is give you a sense of harmony or discord when you make a purchase. Or if you don't make a purchase and you know she'd want you to make one. Money. Everybody has to make decisions about money. And they shift. And they change. And you're always negotiating about money. Now, the, the goal is a meeting of minds about money. That's part, of the, that's part of the managing partner's job is to make sure that the money issues flow smoothly and in harmony. Now, I want to tell you that that's, not a, that's for sure that uh, that's the most common issue that people come up with is money. I uh, was talking to a fellow. The only issue about the money is that his wife writes checks and doesn't record them.
They've been married for, well, they've got two teenagers in high school, and she's been doing that for that length of time. Now, you have to admit, fellas, that's commitment. <laughs> he is, she is not about to change. You see, she's made that clear over a period of almost 20 years. That's dedication. But it's also dedication on his part. He has been burning for 20 years. He has been, he has been irritated and annoyed at her for 20 years, and she didn't even know it. See, your minds are not together. And if your minds are not together, it isn't much fun to be together, is it? Money. You can't avoid it. Another thing you can't avoid is eating. You know, I discovered when my first wife died, I guess I knew this, but I, I found out that you can't take anything out of the refrigerator unless somebody puts something into a refrigerator. My refrigerator started getting emptier and emptier and emptier, and, and it just got emptier. Somebody's got to buy food. Now, that's not a simple matter. I, I, start, I, I started out buying food, and I, I didn't ever pay any attention to supermarkets until I, I paid attention or starved. A supermarket is a formidable place. Hey, do you realize the knowledge that somebody has to understand where things are in a supermarket and who knows price and, and, and who can save pennies? And uh, the, way to, the way to make money is to save pennies, isn't it? One-time purchases isn't what kills you. It's the daily... Why I began to admire the knowledge, the tremendous knowledge and skill that these women have when it comes to purchasing food. And then you've got to prepare food. One fellow was telling me he, he walked into the kitchen and his, uh, he's standing there. His wife is making supper. And he says to her, what a mess. <laughs> you see, her idea was uh, you, you use pots and pans and you serve the dinner and stash the stuff on the sink and the function of a sink is to stash stuff on it, and you wash dishes when you run out of dishes. That was her philosophy. Well, there's nothing wrong with that philosophy, is it? But he didn't like it. Now, you see, when, when your wife realizes you don't like it, she says, well, what would please you, dear, doesn't she? <laughs> How many of you have wives who have made a career out of pleasing you? You know, I found there aren't very many people in this world that are concerned about pleasing me. People want to do their own thing. That's what, the, the, you know, there's a Bible verse in Isaiah 53, 6 that is very important. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, and we have gone everyone where? In his own way. That's the sweetest music to anybody's ears, isn't it? Let's do it my way. And so your wife wants to handle the kitchen her way, and you want her to handle the kitchen your way. Now, maybe the kitchen isn't an issue. Maybe it's eating. One lady said, my husband <coughs> thinks that everything that he eats should be hash before he eats it. She, she was raised so that when you eat, you, you make a little pile of carrots and a little pile of peas. 
in a little pile of potatoes and one mouthful of meat at a time. And his idea was, since you got the knife and fork in your hand, get it done. <laughs> and so he cuts up all the meat and the potatoes and, and makes hash. And she says, uh, I wish you wouldn't do that. Now he understands that she wished that he wouldn't do that. Does that determine what he does? No, he's a man. He's the managing partner. He should be able to, any red-blooded man ought to be able to eat like he pleases, shouldn't he? So they have, they have an ongoing debate about how to eat. Now, when you, have an, you take an issue over eating, you understand now, buying food, preparing food, serving food, cleaning up the mess. Or you can create all kinds of issues around that, can't you? Now, if one of those is an invisible brick, that long, that wide, that thick, and you put that into place next to the wall you're building over money, and you can see that it isn't going to take you very long, and you've got a pretty thick wall of invisible bricks. Coming to a meeting of minds around eating. You, you see, you can't avoid it. Let's take another one. Housekeeping. One fellow was telling me, or his wife, this guy comes home and scans the house. Tabletops, dresser tops, for, for dust. And when he sees uh, a need, he writes her a little note <laughs> in the dust. <laughs> Dust me. Now you'd think she'd appreciate that. All she's got to do is watch for his notes. <laughs> she would write him a note. Dust it yourself. One day he says, You know, you can't depend on that woman. I wrote a phone number in the dust. Will you believe she dusted? Well, when you think about the potential issues around housekeeping, take, take the bathroom. Uh, what do you do with the toilet seat? Uh, which way do you install a toilet roll? What do you do with the towel when you're through with it? Uh, what, do you, what do you do by, by way of cleanup when you're through shaving? You see what I mean? You can, you can come up with all kinds of issues, unresolved issues, just in the bathroom. Take the bedroom. One, one lady told me she would married this fresh air kid and he'd like to open the window. He'd walk to the window and say, smell that air. And she'd come in and say, whoa, it's cold in here. Well, you're pretty far apart. I said, well, why don't you put another blanket on the bed? I thought that was a brilliant thought. <laughs> oh, no, that's not the issue. She doesn't want the window open. Take the closet. Or, or move into the living room. 